0: Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Michael Ibarra, Chief Data Officer at Elego Health Research. Our conversation explored AI in clinical research and its overall impact on healthcare, looking at the importance of data, high quality data, and put to the good and the right use in the industry, even to the point of enabling research as care. It will soon become clear as you listen that Ibarra is a man whose childhood passion for programming has been with him ever since and that in this technological age that we live in, he has much of use to share with listeners. So, as that tsunami of healthcare data approaches, may this recording offer if not a lifeboat then a life buoy by which to come to the shores of understanding, free from LLM hallucinations or any other misapprehensions about this topic. I certainly found the discussion insightful, and I hope you do too. As ever, thank you for listening. This is Pharma Forum web editor Nicole Raleigh, and today I have with me Michael Ibarra, Chief Data Officer at Elego Health Research. Welcome, Michael.
1: Thank you, Nicole.
0: We're going to be discussing AI in clinical research today and its overall impact on healthcare. Elego itself is a healthcare-enabling clinical research organisation, and its mission is to provide everyone with easy access to participation in research, as well as to accelerate clinical trials along the way. In order to do so, the company relies on data, that all-important word, in the technological age. So, Michael, before we plunge into the finer details of AI and clinical research, perhaps you could tell me more about your own background in digital health and your passion for using AI and, indeed, electronic health records or EHR data in order to optimize research.
1: Sure. I was always the uh, one of those kids growing up who spent more time programming their computers and calculators than they did actually studying the problem. So I've always enjoyed uh, using technology to solve my problems. And along the way, probably one of the first experiences that I had where I, uh, I fell in love with Bayes' theorem, uh, which was a way of modeling pharmacokinetic parameters way back in the day. But it showed me the power of applying a different type of technique to... Understand data and to and to model things, and actually, I've never been able to to get over that uh, since that time. And um, along the way, I spent the bulk of my career in the pharmaceutical industry and watched as healthcare data became more and more digitized. And at some point, I realized we should probably just be thinking about what healthcare and what research would be like if, let's say, seventy percent of all healthcare data was digitized. And so. Um, during my career in the industry, I posited a solution for taking adverse events directly from an electronic health record um, mm-hmm. digitally and sending them over to the regulator, to FDA, and it was a technical success and a commercial failure. And nice. what that brought me to realize was this sort of, you know, to coin, a phrase from uh, Eisenhower, the pharmaco regulatory vendor complex that is um, existing around industrialized clinical research, it's very hard to change that. And the 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 tsunami that's coming of digitized healthcare data, I believe is finally going to change that. And so I've been in this space of trying to use that data to improve patient lives and to, and to uh, improve clinical research ever since uh, my college days. And and um, I think that's basically where I'll spend the rest of my time um, working. And I think that today, more than any time in my career with the latest developments that have happened, um, this is this is a true possibility now.
0: Brilliant. I mean, you're clearly passionate about the subject and it's clearly been a, a lifelong pursuit for you. Um, I like this expression of tsunami of digitized uh, healthcare data that's coming. I mean, you mentioned going through the problem of what would happen if 70% were digitized. Um, so this tsunami, I assume that's an increase upon that percentage.
1: I believe so. I think that eventually, you know, it'll be virtually 100%. Of course, you can always find the cases where you have to go visit your your doctor and you fill out a form. But by and large, over the last eight years or so, especially in the U.S. with the High Tech Act and the uh, onslaught of new technologies to record data. We have the same problem that the rest of the world does. We have more data than we know what to do with. And so Mm -hmm. our problem is not now uh, the problem that we just had. You know, when I joined the industry, the problem was trying to get the data. The problem today is figuring out how to use the data. Um, There's a... I tend to also nerd out a bit about the economics of this. And uh, there's, when you look at internet economics, there's a gentleman, Ronald Coase, who had a theory of the firm that talked about decreasing the cost of a transaction. And once that happens, new business models can emerge. In healthcare, the way we decrease the cost of transactions is by digitizing data. So imagine that we're at 70% continuing to go up the more you digitize the data, the easier it is to move it around. Eventually, someone is going to figure out better ways to do things, which is actually follows uh, Cozy and economics very well. And so what it's, it's incumbent upon us to figure out it's not just us that, that's doing it, but the, the problem is understanding what you're trying to solve well enough, as well as understanding what data you have it available to use and then figure out the means to put those together.
0: Thank you for that explanation. Um, I must admit, a lot of that goes over my head with the economics part of it and everything, but it's interesting to hear, thank you. So turning now to the main topic of today's podcast, AI in clinical research itself. So a segue, if you will, from the data aspect. Can you tell me more about the opportunity that you see in this combination of, and returning to data, EHR data and AI for the acceleration of clinical research and include, if you can, any sort of possible practical applications in that exploration for us.
1: Yes. Uh, For the past five years, probably, people have focused on using EHR data for clinical research. EHR data is actually data collected during the course of the healthcare experience. And one of the things that we found out in the industry years ago when we tried to use it was, data collected for your healthcare visit is not, as we say, regulatory ready data, because the regulations surrounding the use of that data in clinical research are are strict and different and sometimes arcane. So there's a process of uh, transforming that data into data that's useful for clinical research that the regulators would accept. That's been the, the primary focus the last five years or so of, of many people and, it, and you spend a lot of time doing that. And so that's sort of a hidden cost of using EHR data for clinical research. However, it is medical grade data, and it is extremely useful. So we spend our time doing that. And it's, it's uh, reaped benefits. Um, one of the things you can do with that is when you're looking for patients for a clinical trial, you can go into the EHR, and you can run searches on that data, and you can find patients that are medically qualified. Um, There is some data transformation you need to do, but it's certainly um, more cost-effective and more efficient and more accurate than asking patients the questions themselves. And so that's been in place for quite a while. The real, uh, I believe, revolution that's happening now is with AI in general, and more specifically with large language models that people may know as ChatGPT or BARD. And the reason for this is The large language models open up the opportunity for people with less data and technical experience to nevertheless understand how they can interact with something to solve their problems. And so an example is you are enrolled in a study and you get a chatbot and you're able to ask that chatbot questions about the study and it responds to you almost as well or as well as a human would. So now, rather than wait for someone to call you for the study, you're able to go on at your own convenience whenever you might want to ask, what is involved in the study? How many times do I have to go in for a visit? Are there any blood draws involved? Uh, What are the chances that I'll get an adverse event from the study? And these questions can come back to you in answers via the large language model that will keep you engaged in the study, help you understand whether you really want to do it, and collect data from you as as you are interacting with it that'll be extremely helpful for the study. so this is this is just one way that I think um, the ability to engage patients and answer their questions is going to be uh, revolutionary, and I use that word guardedly, but I truly do believe it's going to be a sea change for clinical research. You can see this already sort of uh, the sister development on the healthcare side, where, there's a lot of work now with patients and interacting with your doctor and how better to be able to answer your questions and to be able to answer you promptly. And so it's not um, completely AI based, but it is um, AI, it's human sort of AI augmentation of the ability to interact with the patient. You can call up your doctor and then an AI can answer some of your initial questions and then the doctor can talk to you There's a lot of things going on in that space right now, and I believe they transfer over directly to enrolling a patient into clinical research and answering your questions, for example.
0: Thank you. So this sort of interactivity of it is a clear definer in comparing it, say, to a search engine. So how do we um, make sure that the data that feeds the AI, the large language model, is the correct data, high quality data, you know, there's this risk of going back to the search engine example, uh, false information, fake news type stuff. So how is that being checked so that that doesn't occur with the chat GPTs of this world? And there was just a case recently in the news, as you will well know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you put your finger on on the core question here. We are riding on the back of the general application of large language models, but with chat GPT, for example, and, and, and large language models, something happens called a hallucination where um, they're sort of like your, your best friend in school who sounded authoritative, but had no idea what they were talking about. And so you'll get an answer that sounds great, but in fact, maybe it quotes an article that doesn't exist, but it looks authoritative. So that's a hallucination. And so with the application in healthcare, we wanna be careful not to have hallucinations. Uh, Same is true in clinical research. One of the things we're working on now is to understand what guardrails do you put around the interaction with a large language model in order to do this. And one of the ways we're doing that now, for example, is to define the data that the large language model can use so that we don't put the onus back on the user. You can still interact with it as a chatbot, but the range of answers that it has to your questions are much more delimited. Um, so that when you're talking about the protocol or you're talking about a medical procedure, it just doesn't have the opportunity to go out to the full Internet and, and interact with that. And so that's going to be a key area of research and development as we go forward when we're trying to apply these sort of technologies to healthcare and clinical research.
0: Right. So if we sort of come around now to the notion of research as care, Can you tell me more about this and how it's going to streamline the healthcare system as a whole?
1: Yes, Um, when you get into clinical research, one of the things you find out is, uh, you imagine that you're going to spend your time looking at the data and analyzing it and making it better for mankind. And then you discover one of the biggest problems is simply getting patients into studies. Uh, Research has exploded over the years and as drugs become more complicated, protocols to test them become more complicated as the regulations have increased there are more hoops to jump through in order to get your study done and one of the great difficulties you have now in clinical research is finding enough patients to enroll in your study and keeping them active and engaged so that they can get through it so now when we're looking at research it's care it's really trying to answer the question where are the patients? And the patients are actually receiving their daily care every day, but they maybe um, have no idea that a clinical study is going on that they could be qualified for. So research is care is attempting to move research into health care and give patients the choice as they're receiving their daily care to also be involved and get into a clinical trial that could help them directly and it will certainly help the clinical research industry. And the application then of AI to this is, as we've been discussing, imagine that you visit your doctor, and for one of the visits, your doctor offers you an application that where you can enroll into a research registry, and you get to chat with a chatbot that tells you about the recent studies that's going on, and the chatbot may be informed about your own medical record through the system that's been set up. And then it will come up and, and say, Nicole, we have a study that you may be interested in. You can learn more about it. And if you find that you're interested in it, you can talk to your doctor about it and get enrolled. So what that's doing is it's moving your opportunity to learn about the trial, making it easier for you to learn about it. And then that uh, moves the opportunity of finding patients into general health care.
0: So a a clear facilitating of an acceleration, if you will. It's just sort of, as you say, streamlining, making these processes far smoother for both sides of the coin, the healthcare professionals and for the patients themselves.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay, so now let's think about the future vision. I know we're we're already living in a future vision, as it were, but given that, as you say, from the percentage of 70% to it could potentially be virtually 100%, Summatively, what's in store for AI across clinical research, in your opinion?
1: Uh, The first thing I think about with that is um, many people will will know the phrase, uh, the future's already here, it's just not well distributed. Mm -hmm. What you'll find is anywhere you look, you may find that people are still, as I said, recording their medical history on paper, all the way over to people Interacting with a chatbot in healthcare and in clinical research. What I imagine for the future and what I hope for, first of all, is simply an evening out of what is entirely possible today. The technology exists, and we are learning very quickly how to tame it and how to use it. And the it's simply um, making sure that the availability for this uh, reaches deep into healthcare, and it doesn't become segmented uh, area of the population or of a certain organization that allows you to use this for your research. So right now it's a competitive edge. What I hope personally is that it becomes a commodity mm-hmm. so that anywhere in the world, literally you could go and, and learn about research more. In terms of advancements, what I think will happen is I think it's very much as um you know, in 2017, Andrew Ng uh, called AI the new electricity. And I think mm-hmm. we're living through that now. Um, people are using it already. Some people will get electrocuted, as it were, and, and make mistakes. But in the end, it's going to power a whole new way of interacting with the data that uh, goes far beyond the engineers and far beyond the scientists. So that the vision that I would see for the future is you don't need to know any more about a large language model than you do today. You simply interact with it as an assistant that will help you with your healthcare. It will help you uh, learn more about research, get involved with it, help you manage through the study and help you after the study, provide back information for you about your data. And so what I would see is, I see no reason why there's any technical barrier to that. What I hope is that um, we can embed it into healthcare in such a way that it, as I said, becomes a commodity and it it raises all boats um, in the ability to engage patients into research.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for that. I, I like that notion of being an assistant to streamlined healthcare and into clinical research. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time today, Michael. It's been a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Same here, call. Thank you very much.
0: And so that concludes this episode of the Mini Farmer Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about previous installments and the main Farm Forum podcast series at farmerforum.com forward slash podcasts. The Mini Farmer Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Farm Forum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins as well. And follow us on Twitter at at Pharmaforum. Well, that's all for now. Thank you for listening.